Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there. This episode of Raul's Adventures in Crypto is sponsored by the Token 2049 Blockchain Conference. Join over 10,000 attendees for this year's biggest crypto event at Token 2049 Singapore on the 13th and 14th of September. Balaji Srinivasan, Mike Novogratz, Arthur Hayes, and over 200 others will hit the stage, joining the industry's most influential names for an unforgettable experience ahead of the iconic Formula One Grand Prix race weekend. Singapore will transform into a crypto hub for a week, from the 11th to the 17th of September, with over 300 side events that make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Builders and investors at the bleeding edge of innovation will drive an agenda that covers ever-evolving topics, ranging from the regulatory landscape to the convergence of crypto and AI, Web3 Gaming, NFTs in the Metaverse, DeFi, Scalability, Interoperability, and much, much more. Visit t2049.co slash realvision, that's t2049.co slash realvision for 65% off regular ticket prices with the code realvision or click on the link below in the description. So one of my favorite people in the entire world of Crypto Web3 is, is Ian Rogers. Uh, Ian and I are good friends. I haven't caught up with him in ages. He's super busy. I'm super busy. So this is going to be our chance to catch up together and shoot the breeze, find out what's going on at Ledger, what's going on with him, um, and also just his thoughts on the space overall. Um, he's always got different, unique perspectives, and it's always worth a listen. So let's enjoy. The world of crypto is an incredibly exciting journey that we're all going on together. We don't know where it's leading to, but we know it's going to be absolutely massive. Join me, Raoul Powell, as I guide you on our adventure to discover just what this new world will look like. Ian, fabulous to see you again. Thank you for having me back. Great to see you. It's good because we actually haven't caught up properly for a while. So this is just a proper catch up that we've been long overdue having. And it's a, it's a pretty interesting moment to have it. it really feels like we're like, you know, between stations right now on this ride, right? Yeah. I, yeah, I think so. Uh, let's get your kind of top down thoughts on all of this right now. Cause it's been, last year was a miserable bloody year. This year has been a bit of a grind, but there's a lot going on as well. So how are you thinking about what's, what's happening right now? Well, for us, you know, there's been so, it's been a really kind of mixed emotions for the, the past year for Ledger because so much of what's gone on in the world of crypto has, um, you know, pointed to the foundations that we've always pointed to, you know, our, our, our worldview is, is that, you know, humans will have more digital things and digital value and digital things in their life tomorrow than they, than they do today. And because of that, we'll need really a fundamental change in computing. You know, every revolution comes, you know, has hardware that comes with it, whether it's the personal computer or the smartphone. And, you know, with a revolution of digital assets, you'll also, you'll have another hardware revolution because if we're going to have digital value, then, you know, the phones we have in our pockets and the computers we have on our desktops are, are not sufficient to, you know, to power that world in the same way that, you know, I always say I had a cell phone in 2002, um, but it was really bad at the internet. And I really believed that the internet would be a big part of my life in the future in 2002. So those two things were kind of incongruous 
And I really believed that they would, you know, ultimately work them, work themselves out. And the way that they did was even, you know, more interesting and less predictable than, than I, than I could have thought at the, at the time. And, you know, and, 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 you know, the same, you know, we always, uh, you know, overestimate in the short term and over and, and underestimate in the long term was, you know, was definitely true. So I think if you look at, you know, last year, there were all these moments that, that, you know, where ledger sales, you know, would, would jump by five or six X in a 24 hour period, whether it's, you know, Celsius going illiquid or Solana getting hacked, you know, with November, um, and FTX, we had best sales day followed by the best sales day followed by the best black Friday. And ultimately November was the best month on record for ledger. So while it was, you know, terrible for the industry, you know, I, I, I think that people understood our value proposition better in December, um, you know, than they did in October. So I don't think that's a, a good thing for, for the world, but you know, it, it, it definitely, you know, made my life easier in terms of telling people that self-custody is important and security is important because, you know, FTX was not only a failure of, of, you know, of, you know, kind of lack of self-custody, right. Um, but it was also, you know, the way that they managed enterprise security was horrendous. Um, and that, you know, that people that got exposed, uh, as part of it as well. And then if, if you, if you come back to the start of, of 2023 and SVB, that was another thing we absolutely could not have, have predicted, you know, we thought, you know, okay, questioning, you know, burgeoning crypto exchanges is one thing, but, you know, questioning banks. Um, that wasn't, you know, on my bingo card when I, when I started at, at Ledger in January of 2021. So I, I think with, you know, with all those things, I think it's really, um, you know, our value prop is the right one and it, and it, it has been right. Um, and we were, we have had multiple opportunities, you know, to show that, but at the same time, it's, you know, got a big impact on the, on the overall market. And that market is a slowdown, huge slowdown in new people coming in, into the space. Um, you know, so where, you know, we were, we were, you know, pretty flat 2021, 2022, you know, we've seen the same slowdown, um, that others have had in, in 2023. And we're really, you know, using that as the opportunity to get ready for what we, you know, feel is, you know, we want to be ready for 2024. We don't want to be, you know, the reality is we could have sold more in 2021 had we had, you know, the inventory, the, the product, there were things that we weren't ready for in, in 2021 when things really took off. We didn't have, um, the inventory that we needed to meet all the market demand. We weren't, you know, properly integrated into MetaMask at a time when NFTs were taking off, you know, these things that are, you know, very practical where you have to be ready for the market when the market goes. So for us, you know, that's what, that's what we've been spending the year doing is making sure that we're ready for whatever comes in 2024. Now we know that that story will be different. Um, you know, that it was in 2021. Um, so we're trying to, you know, predict what we think that might be. Um, but we, we know that, you know, there'll be another wave. It'll bring a whole bunch of new people in and those people are going to need security and self-custody just like people in every other wave have done. Um, and we're, we're, you know, trying to be ready for what that next, that next step up looks like. Yeah. I mean, I, when I first got into Bitcoin back in 2012, 13, it was like the Cyprus banking crisis and the European banking crisis. And I realized that you own nothing in a bank. And the, the need was for bearer assets. And the only one we had was gold because everything else had stopped becoming a bearer asset. And in an overly leveraged system, you don't own anything. You own a fraction of what you think you do because they own it. And that realization for me is what took me down this rabbit hole. 
really interesting to see it play out in the United States where people realize that your money in the bank is not your money. Yes, they get bailed out, but not always. And they were bailed in in Europe, so you just lost a percentage of your, well, everybody in Cyprus lost everything over 100 grand. So if you were a gas station and had a big float, that's it, all gone. I mean, staggering once you realize the reality of that. Now we're seeing the world operating at Twitter speed where people can remove their money from a bank in seconds. It makes everything more precarious. And there is no stronger argument for bearer assets with self-custody than this. Well, you know, maybe a punchline to everything that I said was being on stage with Tim Draper at, at his conference um, in Northern California a couple months back. You know, you've got a lot of his startups in the audience and, you know, Tim turned to the audience and encouraged everyone to take two months of payroll and put it on a ledger because then no bank run is possible. No bank run. Now you've got two months of payroll that, you know, you know, you'll always be able to pay. Um, and so, like I said, that wasn't on my bingo card. Um, that, you know, that we would go to, you know, go to that, go to that place. But I, I do think, you know, while it's painful, it's also good because to your point, like, this is why we're all here. You know, this is a, um, this, th this really is a revolution. Um, and it, and there is a, you know, th there is a, like self-custody is freedom in it, in its way. Um, and if not self-custody, why crypto? You know, that's always been our, our mantra. and you know, but two years ago, I would have people that really thought like, oh, come on, Ian, you're such an idealist. You've got these great exchanges with, you know, lots of features and good liquidity and great rates like FTX and Binance. And what are you worried about, dude? Come on, lighten up, you know, and that I don't, I don't have that conversation anymore. Um, you know, now it's a question of like, what can you do with it and how do you make it easier to use? You know, so for us, Stacks, is a, you know, a step toward, you know, making a more consumer friendly device, a device you can imagine, you know, not only selling at Best Buy, but also selling it, you know, something that's very consumer like Target um, and Ledger Recover, which we took a lot of arrows on um, this summer, you know, we believe is a, is, is really necessary. There are so many people, um, you know, that, that tell us every day that, that they want this product. I can understand also why people who are very, you know, early in, in, in crypto, you know, it's not what they want. Okay. That's fine. It, it's not, you know, it's an optional thing that they don't have to have or even be affected by, but we all want, we, you know, the next wave of people to, you know, to be able to have both security and self-custody. And it's a question of, if not that, how. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I think the point you raised earlier is like, we don't know what the next wave is going to be like, but it's likely to be more consumer than the past wave because each one has been. And so therefore we, and you've always been, you know, I've followed your whole journey because you, your basic journey has been to abstract this all the way in the end. And you have to get there because the complexity of the space is not for everybody. It's impossible to get your, you know, our 80 year old mums to do something like this. 
and to have a seed phrase. I mean, it's nonsense. But like you, I understand that some people really don't want that, and that's okay. But I think the recover idea, I mean, I caught up with Pascal, I think it was in Miami at Dan Tapiero's do, and you and I chatted. It's like somebody has to make, make it easier, and there's trade-offs with everything. You know, it's like Ethereum has a trade-off versus Bitcoin in terms of security or whatever it may be, and that has to be allowed. Because if not, then it'll just be a small group of people nerding out with each other. Yeah, I think, you know, for us, again, self-custody and security are the name of the, great, name of the game. So how can we provide those things and bring it to more people? And, and your point about the next wave is, is right, but also I would say the last one. Again, you've got 425 million people who own assets and you've got fewer than 10 million people who have hardware wallets. So that means that we talk about this thing, crypto. Um, I think, you know, any of us who are really serious and, and thoughtful about it can get our heads around, you know, if not self-custody, why crypto? But then we look at the space and go, well, how many people are on exchanges, you know, after everything that's happened, you know, still not in a self-custody environment or on software wallets after everything that's happened and watching so many friends, you know, lose their funds, still not secure. And, you know, why haven't they moved? Well, that's what we do is we talk to people every day and we, you know, what, what do you use Ledger? How do you use it? You know, and, and there's, and there's, you know, the answers are, they're, they're all very human, right? We all, you know, nobody, it's the same reason that we know we, we know we shouldn't, but lots of people um, that, you know, you respect as intelligent people reuse the same password all over the place, right? Even though we know it's terrible practice, you know, they're human beings, human beings, um, they, they make mistakes. Um, so, you know, it's, it's now if you, now what happens when that number of people holding crypto goes to a billion? which is very likely to happen in the next, in the next run. And how do they do it? Do they do it by, you know, getting a little bit of exposure on Robinhood? You know, do they, do they do it by, um, you know, by, by putting, by just buying Ethereum, putting it into in MetaMask? I mean, that to me is the question that we all need to ask ourselves. It's like, how do we expect people to do that? Um, there, are, there are lots of us that, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about this. And, you know, we have, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about our operational security, et cetera. But yeah, the average, the average person doesn't do that around passwords. There's another opportunity, by the way, I'm now using my, my ledger, um, as my second factor on things like Twitter, my Kraken account, um, my login.gov account. My second factor is, um, is my ledger. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's really a security application, right? A, a, you know, security, um, product. And, and if we have we've already got digital, we already have digital lives. And, you know, I, I believe that goes a lot further um, than, than it is today, that a lot of our things, not just things of value, but a lot of our stuff is, is, um, is digital. Ultimately, our passport is digital. Um, you know, our, a, a lot of our value is digital. I think it's really heterogeneous, just like it is in our wallet today, where, you know, I've got, I've got one wallet that has lower security that, you know, where I can spend up to X. I've got, you know, I've got sort of just like I do in my wallet today. I've got a, a debit card, a credit card, cash, um, bank accounts that are not accessible from my wallet, et cetera, right? That's the way we live our lives today. I think future looks a lot like that, except the value itself is digital. That value includes our identity and we have hardware and software that's capable of helping us, you know, manage that life. I don't think that's a, a big stretch. I think it's, it's kind of a, a foregone conclusion. Yeah, the question follow, is just, you know, how do you, you get there? If you follow the chain of thought that everything will be digitized, 
and blockchain is the secure way of digitizing things and maintaining value or identity and stuff like that, then, you know, that opens people's minds up to how much bigger the opportunity is for Ledger because it's not just about storing your NFTs or storing your Bitcoin that you bought and don't keep on an exchange. It's like all of your digital life has to be secure. Well, there's elements of security. Some things you want completely offline and other things you'll use because it's on your phone and, and that's okay for that level of security. But I think, you know, it's a much, much bigger thing. And Dan Tapiero was explaining that uh, when I was at his recent event. It was just a very simple value proposition. And we don't know how it's going to happen, but it will happen. Yeah, I, th I think that's exactly right. I mean, that, that, is, that is exactly our vision. I mean, I think that, you know, you, to us, you know, your, your wallet is not just your Bitcoin back, right? It is, you know, it, it has, it ultimately has, you know, you, you have multiple wallets and they have, um, you know, they, they serve different purposes, just like you have different, you know, different ways of making, you know, making payments and they have different limits and serve different purposes. I mean, that, that's certainly the, the world that we're going to. It's also why, you know, we think things like, you know, account abstraction are, you know, incredibly interesting and undoubtedly um, a part of the future because, um, you know, it's, again, it won't be homogeneous. It won't be, you know, really just one thing. It, it won't be just, um, you know, I, I, again, I think some people think ledger and they just think big bag of Bitcoin. It, it, it won't, it won't be that. It will, it will be, you know, it will be many, many things. Before we uh, go forward a bit, go, let's let's go over the 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 recover issue and what you know the, the kind of all the noise around it. Just clarify for everybody what that whole situation was about and how you see it. Sure, we have. So we've been working really for quite a long time. We started talking about it right when I joined the company in January of 2021. Um, this product called Recover, um, and what it is is it's seed phrase backup and recovery. Um, so it's a pay service, you know, we'll, we'll charge $10 a month for it. And, um, if you don't choose to pay for it, it doesn't have any impact on your device or your security or anything. There's no holes, there's no back doors. Um, and I think, you know, what, what the way I'll just quickly, the way it works is it takes your, uh, your private key, encrypts it, shards it into three, and then stores the encrypted shards with three different um, custodians, uh, on, on, you know, one, one in France, one in the UK, one in the U S. Um, and then it associates that account with your identity. So you, you, it's not a KYC, but it is an identification process. Um, and if you can, uh, if you, you know, need to recover your funds, you can use your identity to recover those funds. And also there's $50,000 of coverage in the event that, um, you know, your the recovery doesn't work or it, it it's, you know, recovered, you know, to the wrong person, that sort of thing. The recovery doesn't work in some sort of a way. So the reason for the product is that, you know, again, 425 million people holding crypto, fewer than 10, 10 million of them have, have hardware wallets. You know, how do we get, you know, those remaining 400 million people into a secure self-custody environment? Also knowing that, you know, 90 plus percent of them have less than $50,000 in value in that account, right? So if you think about it from that angle, I think that, you know, the, the product makes a ton of sense. There are a lot of people for whom that, you know, that product is, is perfect. Um, they can still be the custodian of their 24 words if they, you know, and they should be. 
Um, but in the, in the case, like many people, um, they don't, they lose it. They, they have bad, bad OPSEC. They, you know, they, they, they need to recover the, the funds and they can't get to the 24 words. They can use Ledger Recover uh, to do that. We screwed up the, the communication on this. You know, one was just a screw up in that we, um, you know, first of all, they, we've been talking about this publicly for so long that we didn't think anyone cared. If I'm honest, like we've been talking about it publicly and the response was responses, also a fragile you, time in the market as well. Right. It was just, I, I think that definitely feeling fragile. I think, I think that definitely. And I also the, you know, I, so what, what I'll do say what we did and I'll give my commentary on it. We, the, it, a week early, um, the firmware went out and there was a mention of it in the firmware without explaining the product. So, you know, people jumped to conclusions about what the product is and how the product, uh, you know, or what, what this change might do to someone who didn't opt in before we had the ability to explain to them what the product was and that there was no impact if you didn't opt in. So, and I think, like you said, it was a fragile time in the market and people were open to FUD. Also, I think it's just about, um, about audience because the fact of the matter is two weeks earlier, we had announced this product in Wired, but, you know, two weeks later, the release notes went on Reddit and Twitter and went ballistic. So it also, it says something about media too. Like, you know, the, the people who might care about this and about this issue certainly don't read Wired. They do read Reddit and Twitter. No newsflash for anyone, but you know, there is, there's definitely a, a bifurcation. I think it, it really definitely taught me something that I, I, I could have said out loud, but I, I now, is now deeply internalized for me about, about communication itself. And that, you know, it's very diff difficult to talk to, you know, people who have been in the space since, you know, 2012 to 2015 and newcomers in the space at the same time. It's a, it's a very, very, very difficult, um, task. And so frankly, I, I won't try again. Um, I will, uh, you know, have, have, um, you know, there, there's just, the, the, there are two different audiences with two different needs and, you know, we really need to stay true to that, um, original audience. Um, you know, and, be mindful of that audience when we're launching new, new products like this. And so I think is that, that it, in product, like an OG product and a mass consumer product. I mean, how are you thinking it? I think you can actually serve both. I mean, there, there, there are, um, you know, seed phrase backup and, and recovery methods that, um, that that audience values. And it's important that we, that we, you know, listen and we, and we do those things. There are features, um, that are about freedom and privacy that are important and they're part of our values and, and, you know, we need to make sure that that is, is well understood. Um, and at the same time, it's good for all of us, including OGs, if we are, if we successfully bring on, you know, the next hundred million to, to 500 million people into the space. So I don't think they're necessarily at odds with one another. There's no way to make everybody happy and, you know, it would be foolish to try. Um, but I think, you know, it's, I think it's important for us to kind of, acknowledge, you know, where, where we, we, you know, we, we assume people didn't care when they very clearly do. Um, and that was a mistake on, on our part. You know, I, again, I think for us, we felt like we'd been talking about this product for two years and we put it in wired and, you know, when, then when people finally cared, we went, wait, where have you been all this time? But, you know, that, that's on us. You know, we're the ones that are doing the, the, the communicating other people are just doing the listening. So. I think, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, there, there was definitely a, a really important, important lesson learned in that for us. That said, 
we still feel it's a very important product. So the, the move that we made after a lot of pushback from the audience was to say, we hear you, we're going to open source, um, this it's actually a good opportunity for us to open source more of our code anyway, because it's something that we want to do 90 plus percent of what we do is already open source. There's key pieces of it that are not yet open sourced. And the only reason we haven't done it is just time. You know, you've always got, especially in, you know, in, in, in either market, right? The market's either racing and you're trying to keep up or the, the, the market's down and you're more resource constrained, but you're, you're, you've always got as, you know, one of my best friends always used to say 20, 20 pounds of shit in a five pound bag. That's always true. And we've never had time to do the, you know, the, the full kind of open source that we've done. And we took this moment to say, okay, we hear you. We're going to, we're going to do both these things at once. We're going to open source, um, more key pieces of, um, of the code and that will give, and, and we'll, we'll publish a white paper on exactly how, uh, how recover works. And that'll have also advantages for the ecosystem where you can kind of roll your own endpoints if you'd like, um, and gives, you know, more flexibility and hopefully, you know, by doing this, we can achieve what everybody wants. Um, OGs want more visibility. So do we No, no difference in opinion there. Um, but also we want to be able to have a, a good for pay future, um, for, you know, for new, for newcomers in the space so we can all onboard the next hundred million people. So that's, um, that's, that's what we did. We definitely, you know, ate some crow in the, in the, in the, in the meantime, but, you know, I, I think in the end, um, and especially as we were talking about earlier, if, if 2024 turns out to be, you know, a good one, um, I, I hope that the entire industry is going to be happy, you know, that we have this, you know, that we have this product and, you know, I mean, I, 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 as soon as all this went down, I get a call from a friend. He says, oh man, I've got a friend, um, who was moving and his car got broken into and, you know, he had his ledger and his recovery phrase both in the box together and they're gone and it's not an insignificant amount of money to him. And is there anything that he can do? And I, of course there isn't, um, looked like the money hadn't moved. So probably the thief doesn't even know what's in the box what it is, yeah. yeah, or that he can actually access the value with the recovery phrase, but it doesn't help out the person who had the loss. And the reality is, is that this, this guy had had recovery, he'd be fine. He'd be able to, you know, ring up the service, um, you know, use his ID, get his value back, recover his wallet, move it to a new wallet, you know, so that, that if the thief one day does open the box and realize that there's a recovery phrase in it and what it is and everything else. But it's just, a, you know, I, I said to my friend, I said, you know, the saddest part about this is if we had Ledger Recover, if this user had Ledger Recover, he would have an option. And today he doesn't. And I've just been through like a month of hell for people who don't want this option to exist for people. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, history will, history will sort this out. Um, and I think that, you know, ultimately we'll be on the right side of it. Hey, everyone. We're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners, and then we'll be right back. So the other product I've always followed, because you built it, was Ledger Live. Where are you going with that? Because you keep adding new features. It's, you know, it's becoming a really powerful tool that I think is still underutilized. A lot of people don't use it as much as they could do, but where is your vision going with that? Because it's, it's becoming the whole world of crypto all in one app. 
Yeah, we think it's quite underutilized as well. Um, so Ledger Live, just for those who don't know, is it's the companion app to your Ledger. So you you buy a Ledger Nano or ultimately a Ledger Stacks, and and then you set up your your device with Ledger Live, and then you can use it, whether you know just every day to check market prices, um, or to send, to receive, to um, to buy, to swap to stake. Uh, and then we have a whole section called Discover, which gives you access to the world of DeFi and apps by connecting automatically to all of these, all of these Web3 products. Um, so where we're going with that, you know, again, it really is a bit of a Swiss army knife. Um, that's the thing about Ledger that people forget as well, is that being cross-chain is, you know, it, it adds a lot of power. It adds a lot of complexity. Um, you know, look at something like staking, you know, if, if, if we were an Ethereum only wallet, that's a, you know, it's a very different proposition than if you're really, you know, supporting all chains, uh, which, which we, we attempt to do, you know, we, we, we support, you know, the, the, the vast, vast majority of the market cap, uh, of, of crypto on ledger devices. And that's where, you know, more than 20% of, of the entire crypto market cap and, you know, more than 30% of the entire NFT market cap is, is secured on, on ledger devices in some way. Um, and, and so, you know, Ledger Live is meant to be that Swiss army knife that helps you do whatever it is you want to do, whether it's portfolio management, secure, send and receive. One of the major things is just security. Um, you know, you want to be able to clear sign and that's something that you generally can't do with a, with a software wallet. In other words, you want to be able to, you know, if you're signing a smart contract, you know, what, it, what is it I'm signing? What's the, um, you know, let me read the contract before I sign it. Um, and, and also, you know, read it on a secure screen because you can trust the display on a ledger device in a way that you can't trust the display on your phone or on your computer. Um, so, you know, Ledger Live gives you the ability for that, that clear signing um, in, in a lot of those circumstances as well. Um, now, where we want to go with that is, is really ex more and more exchange connectivity because I think we're, we're fans of, of the exchanges of the world. Um, I think, you know, and especially in light of what's happened over the past year and a half, you know, Jesse from Kraken has always had um, the right approach, which is, which is to, he's always been a believer in self-custody for his customers. You know, he, he wants you to do your business with Kraken and, you know, keep your, keep your coins in self-custody. That is, I think, a responsible um, approach for, uh, you know, for, for a service. And I think increasingly there's, a, you know, there'll be a separation um, between custody and trading just like there is in the traditional finance world. You know, if you look at Ledger Enterprise, um, different product, you know, geared at enterprises, but we just announced a product called TradeLink. And TradeLink is basically that exchange connectivity component um, for enterprise. So if, if you want to trade, you can keep your coins in enterprise self-custody. And then through an agreement with, uh, with that exchange, you can go ahead and, and trade and then settle later. Right. Just like you do in the, in, in the traditional world, because you've got, you know, a lock or a look on, on the funds that are in custody, um, and, you know, access to the trading platform. And you can actually have this separation and have, have, you know, all of the power of, of a trading platform without the, you know, the risk of having your, your coins locked up and also without the risk on the other side of them, you know, having, having the risk of you. And, and your custody. So that's what, that's what TradeLink is on the enterprise side. I think on, on the retail side, on the, on the individual and the, and the self-custody side, you know, there are similar things. I think, again, you know, right now you can, uh, you can trade through a number of, of parties 
using your ledger and go from self-custody to self-custody. Um, and yes, you pay on-chain fees when you do that. Um, but you also don't have the risk that you have if you, you know, if you're keeping all of your assets, uh, on an exchange to, to do that same thing. Um, so I think, you know, where we'll go is, you know, I've, I've bought my ledger. Um, you know, how do I, if I'm one of those, you know, 425 million and growing people who own crypto, how do I go, um, really painlessly, uh, from, you know, buying crypto or wherever I started in crypto to self-custody. And now it just, how do I accomplish the things I want to do with my assets? You know, of course I want to follow them and follow their growth, but I also want to stake them and earn yield. Um, I want to, I want to swap, I want to buy, uh, et cetera. It's essentially a fintech app for crypto, right? And it's, for self-custody, it's, it's a fintech, fintech app for self-custody and security. Another way to look at it is like our mission is, is to improve the ease of use in the world of crypto without ever compromising on self-custody and security. And I think if you hold yourself to that, it's hard not to end up as Ledger. If you look at, you know, almost any other company, they've almost always compromised on either self-custody or security. Um, and they'll, they've got, they'll give you a thousand rational reasons that they did that. It's not possible unless yeah, you have to do this. Ease of use. They, they, they will always have some rational answer for it. Ours has just been, you know, like someone who will, you know, never take a drink or never eat an animal product or whatever, you know, pick your kind of idealistic uh, poison there. But, you know, that's just it. We just say, no, we will not compromise on self, self-custody and security. We believe that, you know, you know, self-custody is, is crypto. And we believe that if you have digital value, then you must have security without compromise. Um, and, and so Ledger Live then is, you know, meant to be the companion app that runs on your, uh, on your insecure phone that does what you need to do so that then you can do the secure operations on your Ledger. Without the sounding infomercial for Ledger, but it's, but it's just because I'm fascinated and I've been following this whole journey and I'm obviously a Ledger user. Just talk, talk us through Stacks and when the hell it's coming out for most people. I think so, people are waiting for that. Yeah, us too. I was um, there at the launch party and it was, it's fucking cool, but you know. Okay. So for those who haven't seen it yet, Stacks is new ledger device has the same architecture, um, as the ledger nano. Uh, it's, it was designed by Tony Fidel, who was the inventor of the iPod and co-inventor of the, of the iPhone and founder of Nest. And what Tony had in mind when he, when he built this device, there's a podcast with Tony and I that you can go listen to if you want to hear it in Tony's words, which are much better than mine. Um, was to, to have a device that, you know, A says value. So that's hence credit card sized. Um, and, but, you know, but B, it really feels like a consumer device, right? Something again, that, that maybe not our 80 year old moms, but, you know, certainly, you know, my sister would, uh, would want to use, um, and has, has, you know, real ease of use. So instead of a, you know, a teeny screen, it's got a much bigger, um, e-ink screen. And then what this is, is the world's first curved e-ink screen. So the, the screen goes all the way around the edge. Um, and you know, it's, it's really, you know, quite, quite a, a beautiful device. Um, he also designed them so that they are magnetic. So if I have two of them and you put them together, they, they stick to one another. 
what Tony was sort of asking himself is what does a future like stack of cash with the band around it look like? Um, and, and that's where, where the, the, where the design came from, but the magnets also give it a bunch of cool features. Like these are these little folios, um, that we made and, and, and you can put it inside there and it magnets in and, you know, you can, you can even stack them up with the folio if you want. Like there's, they're, they're really, it's the design that, that Tony did is, is so clever. I mean, I always say like, Tony's the only person I've ever worked with who can design, you know, both the circuit board and the billboard, you know, he, he really has, has, you know, the, the deep technical, um, knowledge as well as, um, the vision. Now, the good news is that we had planned to launch this in, in March and by not being able to do that, we, we really have a, have a, a product that we're extremely proud of. You know, we're, we're at version 1.2 of the, of the firmware. We've managed to extend the battery life, you know, fix some issues with the, with the button sensitivity that we, that we weren't happy with at the beginning, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's because these, this is the world's first curved e-ink touchscreen and they are difficult to produce in number. So, you know, a large percentage of my day every day is, is spent. Um, we have, you know, a team right now in, in Taiwan as, as well as Shanghai, um, who is working on getting these screens, getting enough screens to meet the demand, uh, for the, for the device. So, you know, my hope is I will have an update on this for everyone who has already ordered a stacks within the next couple of weeks in terms of, in terms of timing. And the issue is, is simply getting, getting yield on the screens. So, um, you know, we're, we're so close and what I'm trying to avoid doing is saying something, you know, before I, you know, really can, can make the promise because I don't know what I don't know. Um, but this is, you know, it's a, it's, it's absolutely the number one priority for me and my whole team is, is getting these things out the door. And like I said, the good news is, is that, you know, having this time, which we wished we hadn't had, um, has allowed us to do tons of things that, you know, that we're, that we're, you know, that we are proud of. And hopefully it'll be a, a great experience when it, when it gets into the hands of the customer. But, you know, again, it, you know, I think that having, having a, a great device like this for 2024 will prove to be incredibly important if the market goes where we think it is. Um, I do not like the position, um, that I'm in at all where, you know, I'd wanted to ship these devices to customers in March and here I am sitting, talking to you in July and I'm still not shipping them to customers, you know, at the same time, you know, the, the number one thing for us is making sure that we're ready for the next, you know, the next big run. And that's, that's what we're trying to get ready for with this device. So talking of the next big run, what are you interested in right now? You always, you always find some cool shit. What are you? What's interesting to you? What are your observations, kind of NFT world? I think that's your favorite space. What, what, what are you, what are you looking at? Well, I think what's interesting in the, in the NFT world overall is that so little is interesting. Um, you know, and, and it has been a pretty big shakeout, right. And, um, you know, I think that you've, the, the, you've been a big separation of, you know, wheat from chaff, you know, so in, in my view, you know, you've, you've got, and this is my personal view, by the way, this is not a, not a ledger view. I think there are a lot of people at, at ledger that, you know, wish I'd shut up about NFTs because like, I'm sure a lot of the, a lot of the audience does. And I, I, and, you know, I recognize that, but it, you know, you're asking me what I'm interested in personally. For me, I think, look, if you really look at it, there's, there's punks, there's art blocks, there's bright moments, there's one of ones, and there's not much else. Right. Um, a, a lot of the other stuff has really, you know, proved to be, um, you know, 
either either nothing or well let's see where it goes right um you know let's let's see what these teams do over time like like a lot of startups right they're they're fun to talk about and you get a TechCrunch headline when you launch if you've got something interesting um but to get that you know to get that that um you know to get that headline a year or the, a year later you know three years later five years later you have to have you know, users, innovation, growth, revenue, you know, et cetera. So I think that, that that same thing is is true for for NFT projects. I think that's why, that's actually why, you know, Bright Moments and Art Blocks are interesting on different scales from one another, but, you know, they've amassed a, you know, a real audience and reputation in their very specific space. Um, and and they've got a they've got a lot of breadth. You know, there's a there's a lot that they can do. Um, you know, they've got a lot of license to go pretty broad in, in what they do, which I think is, is what makes them, what makes them interesting. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the bigger story in the, in the next run, I think that, that sort of the, the NFT hype is, is probably over. I think in the, in the NFT space, what you're going to have is, you know, things that are, are real and, and work and go someplace, maybe a bit unexpected. I think if you look at, at what Nike and Ticketmaster are doing as an example, you know, they would probably never use the word NFTs. They're very web 2.5, intentionally so. Um, and, you know, they, they will be, you know, they'll, they have a, they have a community and, and it's the, the community is their customers and, and, you know, the communities around their products. So in Ticketmaster, that might be the bands or the shows or the festivals. And, and for Nike, that might be the various, you know, pieces of Nike, whether it's basketball or skateboarding or, or, or whatever it is, but there's, you can imagine there being a lot of, um, a lot of space for them to operate in. I think if you look at what, um, what Vuitton has done, Louis Vuitton, uh, it's, it's actually quite interesting, much more interesting than, than people realize they've done it in this, um, very Louis Vuitton way, which is, we don't really care that much about what the bigger trend is. You know, we've got a new tool in our toolbox and we're going to use it, um, the way that we see fit. And if you look at what they did with the Soulbound token, I think most people went, oh my God, why did you as a soulbound token? No one can resell it. And they went, exactly. And so, you know, let's, uh, we're going to sell this to people who really believe in the journey. Um, we're going to make sure that the conversation is not about the, the floor price or, you know, the resale value or lack thereof. And then we're going to give ourselves, you know, three to five years to deliver uh, for that buyer base. That's very outside of the world of NFTs. And you could argue, uh, you know, NFT is a minor player in the, in, the, in the whole piece. You know, they're using a soulbound token and they're selling a, a physical trunk and a physical bag and, you know, et, et cetera, et cetera. But I think, I think, you know, this is what I've kind of always believed is that, you know, just like any technology, this is just another tool in the toolbox and, you know, great teams and, and, and great people will use these. Um, use these things in really, in really clever ways that are, that are specific to their, to their brand. I mean, for me, I, I think, you know, you know, I, look, I, I, I do a, um, you know, I do a DCA, uh, of, of, you know, Bitcoin on a weekly basis and, you know, I've, I've 10 X that this year. Right. Um, I, that, that's, you know, I think that's a lot of the story personally, um, that, 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 that's going on this year. I think that, um, you know, if you look at, if you look at what's how we were in, in DC, um, Pascal and I were in DC a few weeks ago, and that actually might be interesting to, to share with you what, what I learned there is a tweet thread that I've been wanting to write on this, that I, I haven't managed to find time to write yet. And I'll just, I'll just say it to you instead. Um, but I think that, you know, there's a, 
what I, what I feel overall is that there's a lot of acknowledgement of, of, you know, of Bitcoin as the asset, what it means. Um, and, and I think that, I think that that is really going to be the story, um, the next time around. I think the other things will be, um, you know, roll-ups, privacy, um, uh, account abstraction, you know, these things where they're the things that have been, you know, technically difficult, but we've all believed were necessary. And some of those technologies really, you know, coming to, you know, to, to prime time, you know, uh, ZK account abstraction, these, these types of things, which are, you know, that we've, we've always believed in them, but the, the horizon was a little ways off. Um, I think these, you know, these things will probably be, you know, a big part of the next, the next go round. Um, but let me, let me mention really quickly what I said about, about DC, because I think that there were a couple of, a couple of takeaways there. You know, I always, I always say that one of my, one of my favorite sayings is I know what it is I have said when you respond and, you know, DC is a great place to, to do that because you're, you're walking around trying to explain relatively complex, um, you know, topic, you know, subject matter to, to a wide variety of people. Um, with, with really different backgrounds and exposures, um, none of them are dumb. Um, they all have very smart people around them who are helping them understand these things, right? And, and you're trying to find the words that kind of get you to the punchline the fastest, right? And get you there. And what, what we found work with, worked was explaining Ledger as a digital safe, right? Especially when you're talking to, you know, American Congress people and representatives, you know, Nobody in Washington would tell you that an individual American, you know, shouldn't be able to have their personal stuff in their personal safe. You know, that is, there's no controversy around that. Then you explain to them like, and you know what, it's a connected safe. And that actually offers you not only more security, but more utility. And let me explain to you what I mean. You know, I'm visiting you in your office in, on Capitol Hill right now. And my passport, which got me into this country is in my backpack in my hotel room. You know, that's a pretty bad place for such an important document of mine to live. Now, imagine if instead that passport was in my connected safe. You know, I would not only, um, you know, be able to safely carry it around with me, um, but when I produce it, I could produce only the part that the person who is seeing it needs to see. You know, if I need to produce my passport uh, at a hotel in Europe, they don't need to see all of my visa stamps. You know, they, they don't even, they're, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of, of parts of my identity that they don't need to have access to. Um, they, they want to know who I am and they want to be able to identify me, you know, tell the authorities that, that I'm staying in their hotel. You know, if I'm, if I'm going into a club, they may need to know that I'm 21. They don't need my name and address or my, or, or my visa stamps. Right? So the ability to, to, to keep our possessions, not only secure, um, but private to the degree that we need to, and for users to have control over that privacy. Um, I think that's, you know, the way to think about where this technology is going. Did that resonate in DC? Did it really it? did in a very surprising way. Um, wow. I, I really think that, that that's why I mention it. And that's why I've been meaning to write this tweet thread actually, because I think, um, it's a, it's a great way to demonstrate that, uh, self-custody matters, security matters, that this goes beyond uh, simply speculation on a new token, right. And ultimately reaches other parts of our, um, of, of, of our society, um, in ways that are important and, and potentially transformative. And so I, I, 
I, I was I was super impressed with um, you know the ability of people to understand that, and I think Ledger is actually a very interesting vehicle for that, right? Like that story that I told is not a story that an exchange could tell in DC, right? It's where Ledger is actually quite a unique player in, in the space because what we are really in the business of is security um, of self-custodied digital assets, right? And while, you know, you and I both believe that Bitcoin is the main event, you know, ultimately that touches many, many, many other parts of our lives. And, you know, that's what we're here for. Uh, and I think that, that, you know, I, I think we're, we're in a place where we're getting people to understand that a little better. Have you spoken to the EU about it? Because they're further ahead with their digital wallet strategy and obviously CBDC and other stuff, which is going to accelerate all of this within Europe and there'll need to be a storage methodology. Have you where are you? Yes. Yeah, so, so Seth, Seth Hartline is, runs global policy for Ledger. Um, and so he's, he's, a you know, he's really a, a, a man on the scene in, in DC, um, and in, increasingly in the, in the EU as well. And I think, you know, the, the, the thing to remember and Seth would, Seth would be great for, for you to talk to about this. Like you would yeah, really enjoy it. I mean, he's, he's incredibly like well-spoken and, um, and well-respected in, in these places or on these topics. Um, you know, I think that, the thing to, so, so the answer is yes. I think the thing to be cautious of is that, you know, the EU is really a regulation machine, right? And, and you could say in some ways that the U.S. is kind of an anti-regulation machine in a way, like the, the, you know, the system, when the system works, nothing happens, <laughs> you know, like the, when the system works, everybody just argues and, and, and things don't move forward very quickly. You know, the system is designed so that, you know, so that things are very difficult to get done, like, and that is by design. Um, you know, because sort of less is more, uh, in, in many cases. And so I think the, the thing that's a bit worrying on the EU side is that, you know, it is a regulation machine. Um, so yes, they've, they've moved things, you know, more quickly, you know, but, you know, more regulation is not necessarily good in the longer term. So what we have in the U S which is regularity, regulation, unclarity or regulatory, you know, unclarity, is that a word? Um, is certainly not, not good. And we're experiencing, you know, the throes of that, I would say. Um, but I think that the, the other side, which is, you know, regulate everything should also worry us. So yeah, we're in, we're involved in, in, in conversations on both sides. I think, you know, what, what we all really need to, you know, be cautious of is, you know, like I said, it's, it's not a, um, it's not controversial in Washington today, um, to say that, you know, people should be able to own their own stuff and lock it away in their safe. Um, you know, and then of course, most of us would, 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 would say, well, there was a time when it was illegal to hold gold in the U S right. So we just want to be, you know, we want to be careful of, of, you know, what we are, you know, what we sign up for, uh, when yeah, it comes to, our, when, it, when it comes to our digital assets. Now, here's the other thing I think though, that, um, that really worked in Washington. And I had this, I, I, I had this, I was able to have this conversation more than once and man, it's, it's really fun. And you just see the light bulbs go off when you, when you have this one, which is to say, okay, you know, here's a, here's a heady statement that a lot of people would say, oh, I don't really have the technical expertise to have an opinion on that. But you say, without decentralization, you cannot have security. And that doesn't ring a bell for most people, I would say. Now, the way that you get it to ring a bell for everyone is you say, and, and to demonstrate that, you know, just tell me whose database you would like everyone's information to live in. 
which one, if not decentralized, then well, which database should it go in? You want it to be in Apple's, in Google's, in Facebook's, in the US, in China, in the EU? Whose database do you want all the information to be in? No one really has an answer to that question where they, where they say, I mean, I think there are some people in the government that would say, well, the US government, of course, right? But I think really anyone who really understands democratic values um, stops themselves before those words come out of their mouth, right? Um, because the fact is, and I like that this is both a technical fact as well as a, you know, a, a societal one, you know, without decentralization, you cannot have security, period. And I think that getting people to really, really understand that and, and not understand it the hard way. A lot of what we've been through in the last 18 months is people coming to an understanding of that the hard way. Um, and so really understanding, you know, and, and being specific about where we would like there to be centralization, you know, around what applications is centralization okay? You know, maybe, you know, my Amazon account. Okay, it's fine, right? Um, but so I'm not saying that all applications must be decentralized, but without decentralization, you always have a honeypot. And, and I don't know if you've ever read the book, This Is How you, They Tell You the World May End. This Is How They Tell Me the World Ends. Nicole Perlow. Yeah, that's Absolutely. right. You read that book and you realize without decentralization, we're truly fucked because the attack vectors are so high. And as quantum compute comes in as well, it becomes virtually impossible um, to protect, you know, single source databases. Yeah, no, you, I mean, and I, and I don't say it to be scary, but I, I think, you know, we should be, we should be concerned about this, right? I mean, if your local water treatment plant runs on Windows 95, you should be worried. You know, it's, it's material in your life and, um, you know, it's easy for, uh, you know, for, for somebody who would like to, to take control over that, you know, and, but, and, and this is actually in, in some ways why Ledger exists. It's not, it doesn't exist to fix this problem. That's not, we're not going to, we're not the, the solution to this problem, but we exist because we realize that anything that can be hacked will be hacked if there is a, a will to do it. Right. So you've, you've got, you know, kind of, you've got, um, effort and reward and, you know, on certain thresholds, everything that can be hacked will be hacked. And, and if any of one listening hasn't yet read, um, Nicole's book, this is how they tell me the world ends, you know, really please do, because it, you know, it, it gives you a sense of, of, of the fact that, you know, cybersecurity isn't just about, you know, the photos that are, you know, in your iCloud account or, or your Bitcoin, right? It's or every, using a, or using a VPN and I'm going to be fine. It's like, you know. no, exactly. It's, it's every aspect of your, of your life. Um, and, and so I, I do think that, you know, we, we talked about that book quite a bit in Washington and, uh, and surprisingly many, many people in Washington, you know, had read it, but, you know, one of the follow-ups that, that, you know, we would like to do is to basically, you know, have a, have a talk about those issues broadly, you know, in DC. You should interview her on Real Vision. Oh, I would love to do that. But that's a great idea. Cause no, I would love to I do think that. It's really important and you're exactly the right person to do it because yeah, let, let's try and make that happen. Oh, so, I would love that. Yeah. Let's, let's figure that out. Nika will help us with that. So, um, couple of other things for you. One is, I think it was you. I can't remember. It might have been you, might have been 6529. Somebody wrote about form factor of NFTs are likely to change. Hmm. It wasn't me. But I I think was, no, it was 6529. Talking about 
just because we understand it to be this now, an image of some sort, right? And I've seen you, you know, you've been an early adopter of photographic art, and then we've seen the AI generative photographic art that's been some really amazing stuff. But then we're starting to see stuff like Rafik, where you've got 3D movement. And it feels that if there's innovation to come from the space, it's the form factor. But we, we're still so driven by a picture we put on our wall or a photo that we have. And now we can enable everything. And as Apple develops that technology as well, and everybody falls into line, it feels that something there is going to be interesting. Who's going to make the breakthrough in that? I completely agree. I think that, you know, fundamentally, this is just about digital ownership, right? Um, I also feel, I, I feel so often, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm so lucky to have grown up with the Beastie Boys as my mentors. That was my other question. Why weren't you in that film? And what did you think of it? The, I was, the, the, I'll come back to that. But, yeah. but, you know, what I always said, look, when the Beastie Boys did that book, we were talking about the marketing. And I said, you know, look, you know, they were, they were like, look, we just don't, we're not interested in Instagram or, you know, any, this is just not us. I said, look, you guys should do what you always do, which is abuse the medium, right? So when you say that about form factor of NFTs, I come to the same thing. It's like, who's going to abuse the medium, right? Who's going to do with it something that it wasn't, you know, meant to be done? What mischief does, you know, with, with everything that, that they do. I think, you know, I was lucky enough to get a walkthrough of, of Beeple's, um, you know, kind of museum and studio down in South Carolina earlier in the year. And, you know, I mean, he's, you know, he's taking his art and like then turning it back into like, you know, giant format uh, oil paintings, right? He's like, he's, he's completely using it for as, as just canvases for, for, for different, for different things. I think, you know, one thing you can point to in that, that is very, um, uh, specific is meta label, which Yancey Strickler, who used to be the CEO of Kickstarter has built, and they're solving really two very simple problems, but they're very real things. One is it's a packaging format for digital media, right? So, you know, you can make a zine or an album package, or, you know, it's a book or what is it? doesn't matter. It's a package of things, right? So what is the packaging format and what does it mean for that package to be sealed? And what does it mean for that package to be opened? And you know, do the contents all kind of go together or can they be sold off separately or whatever, you know, the issues around, around packaging are. The second is the, is the, the, you know, the fact that most creative endeavors are done by a group of people, not just one person, you know, so, but oftentimes those groups are so short lived and the, and the revenue is so small, it doesn't even make sense to hire a lawyer and make an LLC or register the publishing or whatever it is you need to do to you know, do it. It's just a, it's a creative collaboration, but you can, you know, easily kind of form a partnership online. That partnership could be two people. It could be 500 people. And the mechanics of that partnership could be, um, you know, could, could be, uh, judged, you know, could be driven by a smart contract in perpetuity. Right. So I think about Grand Royal Magazine, which we did with the Beastie Boys. And if we did that as kind of a meta label package, you know, there, we would still be seeing activity right now. You just go buy Grand Royal magazine on eBay and somebody sends me the link and they're like, isn't it funny? This magazine is 500 bucks. You know, the, it, that would be a completely different thing if we had done it, you know, kind of in the, in the meta label way. Um, so I, th I think that there are definitely sort of, you know, innovations of format as well as, you know, innovations of, of just the way that people collaborate creatively. And it's not just a quote unquote DAO, right? There are, there are, you know, groups of people come together to form a partnership to, you know, 
to create something, you know, in the, in the seventies, we would call that a band, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and, and, and the two thousands, we call it a website. I don't know, uh, but, but, you know, it could be anything. Um, so I think, I think that's that. I mean, the Beastie Boys, I mean, and, and the film on uh, Apple, on Apple TV. Yeah. Mean, right? I mean, I loved it, obviously. The, but... the film, you know, I, I, the, I, I loved it. They, they did, um, you know, the way that came about, I don't want to speak for them, but just, just quickly, you know, they made the book, Beastie Boys book, um, which I think is fantastic. I love even the chapter that they didn't write, which is just like a picture of New York in the eighties. It's such a, it's a reminder of what New York was culturally, internationally at that moment. And, and also yeah. kind of what the internet took away from New York as, as being that real center of, of culture. Um, I, I did write a chapter of that book. I'm proud. I read the chapter in the audio book. If you read, if you, if you listen to the audio book, oh, then, wow. then you can, um, you've probably heard enough of my voice if you've made it at this point in the interview. Um, but you will hear me, hear me read the chapter in that book. But then after the book, they were of course asked to like, go do a book tour. And they were like, what are we going to do? We're going to go to like, no way out there book tour, yeah. book soup and like sit and read from our book. Um, and they, and so they, they said, that's not what we want to do. So they got together with Spike Jones, longtime collaborator, and they built, they built up sort of a live version of it. They're like, okay, if we took this book and we put it on stage, um, what would that look like? And they did it, I think they did it first in LA. Um, we went in LA and then we, I went again in New York. They did a couple of nights in Brooklyn. And then we also went in London. I, I know because I went to those. I don't remember what, what other ones um, they did. And then after that, they kind of reworked it um, to do uh, a version of it that they ended up releasing. I, I believe it was on Apple TV. The, the yeah, one I think they it did was it Apple. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's, that's what it is and how it all, how it all came about. So, yeah. Cause I was looking out for you. I thought Ian's got to be in there somewhere. But yeah, I know it was really just a recording. You made I the guess, book, but not the film. I think maybe it was the, one of the new, I think it was the New York ones. Yeah, it was, it was the New York ones, um, that they filmed that I, I was, uh, I was, I was there, but not nowhere to be, nowhere to be seen on, on camera, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, listen, as ever, fantastic to shoot the breeze with you. We covered a ton of ground and as ever, really interesting. So hopefully I'll, I'll catch up with you. We will try and make that um, interview with Nicole happen somehow. We'll have to figure Amazing. that one out. Thank you I so much. It's really always, uh, always great to see you. Really an honor to be able to talk about these topics with you. Um, and, you know, I would actually like to do the reverse and interview you about what you think 2024 looks like. So maybe we do that on the, on the Ledger podcast. Love to. More than happy. Excellent. All right, my friend. Take care. Cool. See you soon. Great stories from Ian. Lots of great insights. I think it was important to clear up the Ledger Recover and some elements of Ledger. I'm a huge fan of Ledger. I use it myself. You know, this is not a paid promo or anything. I'm just, I love it. Um, but also just hearing his perspectives on everything, even DC was, was really interesting. And how the broader opportunity is this digitization of everything and that all of this digital identity or the things of digital value need to be stored that is much broader than just a cryptocurrency or just your NFTs. It's a vast, vast network of things that are going to unfold in this exponential age that lies ahead of us. Um, and also I had to ask him why he wasn't in the Beastie Boys film, because uh, I was surprised, because um, he bigs himself up for that. Anyway, great interview, always good. And we'll get him back. And obviously there's a follow-up interview to find out about cybersecurity, because that's really important. I think everyone should understand it. This episode of Raul's Adventures in Crypto was sponsored by Token 2049 Singapore. Get 65% off regular ticket prices with the code REALVISION at t2049.co slash realvision.